0: Welcome to Wellspring Church Podcast. We're an international church family who wants to see Jesus' love transform communities. This recording is a sermon from our Sunday service and will take you deeper into the Bible in a real and relevant way. It's my privilege and pleasure, it's our privilege and pleasure to re-welcome Uh, Ron as he comes to share the word and as always I think it's just always a good practice for us to remind ourselves we're not just hearing a mere man speak but we're hearing from God through the man. So let's pray for Ron but let's also pray for ourselves that we would hear what we need to hear from God today. So Heavenly Father we thank you for Ron. We thank you that he is ahead of us in his race Lord God and in the faith And Father, we thank you for what we can glean from him. But we thank you, Father, for the word that you've put on his heart to share with us today. And we pray, Father, we'd be good soil for that word, Lord, that that seed would actually grow in our lives, Lord God. So it wouldn't just be a great time today, but it would go on to produce fruit in our lives that would please you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: What David doesn't know (laughs) is that it's been decided to, in this week of fasting, that secretly someone's going to creep up on him in the night watches and put an ankle tag around him. And we'll be watching all week to see which cafe he goes into up the high street. (laughs) I particularly know that he likes Jamaica Blue in the atrium. I shall take it on myself as a duty to sit in there every day, all day, just to make sure he doesn't set foot in the place. I have not committed myself to fast this week. As you will probably gather, fasting and I don't normally go well together. But, uh, so watch it, Mr. Dodwell, whoever you are we we'll, are we'll be watching you this week I'm going to read some scriptures to you I'll ask you to remain seated this time because there's some discussion in the break between the versions of the scripture that we had on the board apparently the This particular version of the New International Bible that I'm reading was different from your... your, That means yours is wrong, okay? (laughs) Anything that's contrary to what I've got is wrong. All right? Okay? So... So first of all, I'd like you to turn it in your minds or in the Bibles if you have them with you to the book of Ephesians chapter one. I pray, this is Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints. And listen, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, every title, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Wow. Now we'll look just at a couple of verses in the book of Romans. Book of Romans chapter 9. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you... If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, through his spirit who lives in you. And finally, in the book of Corinthians we read chapter 4. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though inwardly, no, though outwardly we are wasting away. I think you can see that, can't you? (laughs) Come on, I mean, you can do better than that. I'm not bad. I'm in my 86th year, so I'm relatively mobile and still quite vocal and fairly loud, so get used to it, okay? Though, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly there is still something, that's not what it says here, that it's not still something of the life of God burning away We me, we, we, which will keep going, because we are being renewed day and day by the Spirit. Amen? Amen? So that's a good beginning, even if the rest of it's not. <laughs> a strange title this morning for our message And the message is the war against entropy. Don't worry about the word for the moment. The war against entropy. Now, in 1975, on a cold winter's day, I arrived with five young Polish men on the Baltic coast in North Poland, and my, it was cold. If you really need cold, you go on the Baltic in the winter. It's not the sort of place that I would recommend you to go to on holiday. I'd rather go to Bridlington or Blackpool or somewhere like that, but not the Baltic coast. And I was in a town called Koszalin, and I was with five young Polish men that I had trained to plant churches Across that length of Poland, Polish coastline that had previously belonged to Germany before the war and now was part of Poland. By the grace of God, God helped them and helped us. One of those young men now leads 300 churches in the whole of Poland. All of that for an investment at the time of a thousand American dollars a month, that's all it costs. Sorry a thousand American dollars a year. You'd work there for a thousand dollars a month, wouldn't you? Thousand dollars a year, about fifty dollars a month. We were in a fairly nondescript hotel. A communist hotel was always rather nondescript and pretty frayed at the edges. Because they didn't really want you there, but were still glad of your money. And it came to breakfast time, and so I, I said to the young Polish men who were there, "What can we have?" And there was one thing on the menu, and they were rejoicing. They said, "It's great! It's porridge." I said, "It doesn't say porridge here." They said, "No, it said kashanka." I said, "What's kashanka?" They said, "Porridge." I said. Oh, thank God for porridge. I'm not a Scot, I hasten to say. I'm proudly English, not British, English. And uh, I said, I'll have some porridge. Now, as it happens, ladies, thanks to the attention of my wonderful wife that I've been married to for over 60 years now, I had porridge this morning. She said, it'll keep you going. (laughs) So when she wasn't looking, not only had she put a lot of cream on there, I also tipped a half a bottle of Tate and Lyle's golden syrup over the top (laughs) and mixed it up quickly. I thought, well, that'll help keep me going anyway. Well, that wasn't what we had in Poland that day. Instead, their version of porridge, kashanka, was a mixture of barley and oats that had been boiled in pig's blood. Uh, It was, on a scale of one to 10, in vileness, it was about 15. (laughs) It's the first and only time that I had, I thought I'd rather die of cold than have kashanka all over again. I had some strange things in those days, so somehow I managed to survive, and I stand here today all those years later. Outside the hotel, there was a stone, which if you looked online, you'll still find there today. And on that stone, it said that in that place, there used to be a house on the ground there. There used to live a man, uh, he was born there, he lived there for many years, called Professor Julius Clausius. Well, unless any of you are ultra clever, like me, you hadn't a clue who Julius Emanuel Clausius was. Anybody know? No. No. Well, apparently, he was not only a famous scientist. And long ago, I learned that science and I did not go together. I was considered, in a laboratory, a danger to myself and everyone else. So they put me onto woodwork. And as a woodwork, I was condemned as someone who was a good firewood merchant. So they moved me to poetry, which I liked and still love today. I can remember most of the poems that I ever read including most of the hymns and the rugby songs I ever sung. Anyway, where was I? Yes, I was in Cashallen. And Rudolf Clausius was apparently the father of the science of thermodynamics. Any clue yet where I'm going? No? Well, that's all right. I'm the same. It's all been explained to to me, and I still don't know what it means. Uh, Especially Clausius had coined the phrase for the second law of thermodynamics, I believe it was, and he called it entropy. Now, one of the problems that Clausius had was that he went into the ancient Greek to find words that seemed to fit what he wanted to describe. And he thought somehow, That would convey the meaning. Well, it doesn't convey any meaning to me. It never did, never has done. So what I did, I went to one of the... I'd read several definitions of what entropy was, and I couldn't even read the explanation. I couldn't even understand the explanation of the explanation. (laughs) And remember, we didn't have computers and telephones in those days. So all I could do was come back... uh, as a matter of mild interest, because I never thought I'd use it in a sermon. I thought, I found, I found it there and found something about the man and his work. And eventually I got, I talked to Bernard. You know Bernard, in the, usually in the first service? Anybody knows Bernard? Yeah. Everybody knows Bernard. Well, one person does. Well, Bernard's on the first year of his honeymoon. Uh, later, but during this year, he sent his wife out to work for him so he could continue <laughs> on his honeymoon. He, he, he decided that the most succinct version of... And stay with me, please, for a minute. Give me a bit of slack here. I'm not a chemist, okay? So just cut me a bit of slack. I hope it will become clear in about an hour's time from now, okay? <laughs> so Bernard put it this way. Entropy is a measure of the disorder in a system, and it can only be reversed by the input of directed energy. Bernard still doesn't mean anything to me. But later on, a professor called Cooper said about him coining these words. He said he coined these words Thinking they mean something to anybody, when in fact they meant something to nobody. Said so it's simpler to say the natural process of any object is that anything—my shoe, my jacket, anything I possess or am or are—everything goes on a process from bad to worse to destruction. It's like a form of chaos theory. But remember that, as it says in John, all things were made by him, that is, the Lord. And without him, there was nothing made that was made. So before Clausius even thought of entropy or whatever it means, God knew about it. And those laws of the universe that we all live according to, for example, If I said to Mr. Penry over there, stand up a minute. Stand up a minute. Come on, stand up a minute. Now, I want you to, you stand up, Magni, as well. Now, I want you to, both of you, on the the word of three, jump up and hopefully come down again. (laughs) One, two, three. Right, sit down. That wasn't a very good effort. I don't know. (laughs) Remember, I'm talking about the ability of Almighty God to change things according to his will. In any part of our lives or any part of our journey, he can order things in the way he has planned for our lives and not, not help us to adjust to what we've planned for our lives. And if you notice something, Alan jumped a few millimeters higher than Magdy. Because it requires a lot more basic energy yeah. to propel Magdi off the ground <laughs> than it does Alan. And I'm not to. Now, How many of you know, however, however far they actually jumped, one of these days, even Magdi is going to jump and he won't come back again anymore. I'm I'm, 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 I'm I'm trying to be serious for just a second. Because <laughs> yes. Jesus said, someday we will be caught away to meet him in the air and we'll be forever with him so entropy will be destroyed because god will have performed against all scientific opinion and he will cause us to rise from where we are and to be with him forever and ever alan will probably make it a bit quicker a bit more (laughs) impetus there it, it will even require God's biggest effort to get Magni <laughs> up into heaven. Uh, you can settle down. I'm going to behave myself now. <laughs> now, did you notice, for example, or did any of you put new shoes on this morning? No, no. Well, anyway, let's say... No, I, don't I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what i call them shoes. They're sort of, <laughs> yeah, they're sort of weird. But let's say David this morning (laughs) took those strange looking shoes (laughs) out of their box, put them on his feet. The moment he steps out of the door, entropy kicks in. That means from that moment on that he stepped out of the door, although they look as if they weren't throwing away tomorrow. (laughs) As part of your sacrificial fasting. <laughs> Getting rid of shoes is legitimate. <laughs> but as soon as he steps out of the door, entropy kicks in, now his things start their process of going from bad to worse to destruction. Sooner or later, he will throw them away. Would it be totally beyond God's power and co- comprehension? to change that? Well, not for David anyway. He can go out and buy a new pair, because there's a shoe shop opposite Jamaica Blue. <laughs> so, but hes it's changed. Those shoes, Even in the two minutes that I've been talking, I've only been two minutes, yes. Um, they've changed. They've got worse. Ultimately, But it says in Deuteronomy, think of this ladies, not being able to buy a pair of shoes for 40 years. It says in Deuteronomy that for the whole of their journey from Egypt, always good to get away from Egypt, uh, all of their 40-year journey from Egypt to the Promised Land, their shoes did not wear out. Somehow, God preser- God intervened in the system of entropy, and he said, no, no, they're going to stay as they are. Now, when they get into Canaan, just as they had to eat the produce of Canaan, their shoes began to wear out again. Can you imagine the excitement of all the ladies in the tribes of Israel when they got into the Promised Land and were able to buy shoes again. (laughs) all the shoes in Canaan sold out within days when they arrived. Because you could tell a lady from a man that a lady will never pass a shoe shop without looking in the window. (laughs) Or going in and trying on 20 pairs and buying nothing. (laughs) Whereas I, being a male of the species, decide this morning, I need or want a pair of shoes. I'll go into a shop, I'll try one pair on, say, that's it, here's my card, buy it, I'm out of here. <laughs> but they decided, the children of Israel, that is, they said, we're, we're going to manage with these sandals or shoes and our T-shirts, must have smelt of it. But anyway, they, they got to the end And God intervened again. So things go from bad to worse to destruction. But you see, you and I are subject to a higher law. So in our lives, believing in the power of God at work in our lives by his Spirit, we can justifiably believe in the almightiness of God that when things go seem to be going from bad to worse to destruction instead God's intervention happens and that is the divine resurrection even of those shoes (laughs) things look pretty bad on a Friday. The one, our Savior, who knew no sin, the Bible says was made sin for us. And he was crucified on the cross. It seemed to be getting worse on a Saturday. He was put into a tomb It was sealed with a heavy stone and a guard set around the entrance. And the disciples that were walking on that day to Emmaus said, We really haven't got any more hope. We thought it was this man that was going to rescue us from the Romans. Somehow we got it wrong. He's gone. Everything's over. So it got worse. We're on Easter morning. On Sunday morning, the armies of heaven were mobilized to breathe life into that tomb. And it says in my Bible, an angel came that morning, rolled away the stone and sat on it. I love that because for you this morning, the angel is still sitting on that stone. And the power of the Holy Spirit, as we've read this morning... Because the Bible says, because he lives, we will live also. Because the power of the Holy Spirit brought life into that tomb. The power that, raised, the power that created the heavens and the earth breathed his life. And Jesus rose victorious from the tomb. And so this morning, we may, you and I, maybe me before you, <laughs> we may go in, but we won't, we won't be shut in. You understand what I'm saying? We will go in the tomb, but because of the victory of Christ over the law of entropy, we will go in, but we won't be shut in. One day we will rise to meet with Jesus, to be with him forever and ever. Amen? So we will... will, uh, You know, sometime I'm going to preach on the angel is still sitting on the stone. And he's saying, you're not having it. I'm not going to have this stone rolled back across your grave because one day you're going to come out to meet the one who won the victory for you. And from that moment, throughout Scripture, situations, the rolling back of the Red Sea was against the law of entropy. Paul on the ship, everything was lost all hope of being saved taken away. That's pretty drastic. There was one man who said, I believe God. And they all made it to shore safely. God can work in a situation that you are at the moment facing no matter how impossible. If, if things for you seem to be going this morning from bad to worse, then start believing for divine intervention. Amen. And so there were many people as well experience the power of God in their lives to halt the onrush of entropy and bring light out of darkness bring hope out of despair bring victory out of defeat let me read these verses for you just before we move on notice I said move on not come to the end whenever a preacher says I'm nearly at the end he's not he's telling people (laughs) Here's David. He's come towards the end of his life. And in the second book of Samuel, chapter 23, it says these words. These are the last words of David. In the next few verses, he begins to look back at the faithfulness of God. And he looks at those who have helped him establish his kingdom. And it says in another scripture about these men, faithful men that gathered around him, they gave his kingship full support to establish it over the whole land. I hope someone, one day, when we stand before Jesus, he will say about you and me, you gave my kingship full support to establish it over the whole land. And so he begins to talk about these mighty men who gather around him and who stood with him in times of difficulty. Let's see if I can get my tongue around these words again once more. These are the names of David's mighty men. Josheb Bashebeth, a Tachmanite was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai the Orhide. As one of those three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pasdamin for battle. The men of Israel retreated, but he stood his ground. Am I speaking to anyone this morning that will say, we will stand our ground? And he was struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day and the troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. Next to him was Shamar, the son of Aege the Hararite. It was at a place where there was a field full of lentils. Israel's troops fled before them, but Shamas took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought, it, brought about a great victory." If that's not turning empathy, turning entropy on its head, I don't know what is. So what about these men? Look at this guy, Josheb Bashebeth, the Tachmanite. And you've got to practice a bit to say these things. It doesn't cost any more, but... Uh, and we, he raised his spear. He was out one day, probably hunting. He got separated from his friends. And he suddenly finds 800 enemy soldiers ready to attack him. And all the Bible will tell me, intriguingly, he raised his spear against 800 men that he slew at one encounter. Things were going from bad... To worse, Joseph Bashebeth the Targumite, he fought against he fought against overwhelming odds. Everything, everyone seemed to be against him. It's the same for us sometimes. We feel we're having a bad day. Someone has said something about us. Someone's been against us. Someone has opposed us in a, a work situation or a school situation. This man fought against 800. He fought against all the odds you could possibly think of, and he won a great victory. Now I can just imagine this guy, Josheb Bashebath, the Tachmanite. I could just, let's say that's you for a minute. You don't look like a Josheb Bashebath, the Takmanite, but go with me for a minute. He may have said to you, Or you may have said to him, why? What enabled you to stand against these overwhelming odds? Why don't you just say goodbye and run the other way? He would have looked at you and said, hold on, Ron. My king put me there. And my king didn't tell me to retreat. He just told me to fight. So I wasn't fighting for myself. I was fighting for the honor of my king. And this morning there may be those here that feel to be facing a situation where everything is going wrong. Things are going from bad to worse. Let me encourage you, and let me try and implant some faith into your heart this morning, that when things go to bad to worse, when you seem to be fighting against overwhelming odds, that seems to be flooding over your spirit, stand firm, believe in God, believe for divine intervention. Then you have this second guy. Who was he? Eleazar. The son of Dodai the Aho Heights. I mean, that would make you mean having a name like that, wouldn't it? Eliezer, the son of Dodai, the Ohio. Now, he wasn't fighting against overwhelming odds, particularly. But it said he was fighting one day, and they were taunting the Philistines, their enemies. And suddenly, he and David looked around, and they were the only two left because the whole of Israel had retreated. And it says in another scripture that he and David fought back to back on the battlefield and he got so tired that his hand froze to his sword. The key is really, when you feel you can't fight anymore, it's to start fighting some more. Keep fighting, keep winning, keep and you win through. He didn't fight so much against overwhelming odds, but he fought against unbearable fatigue. It was so pressed down. I don't know whether you've ever heard me say this before, but there have been times in my experience when I've been tired in the work of God, but I've never been tired of the work of God. And yes, we all get at times. We all feel, oh, please, off. Oh. oh. Uh, You carry on now. I'll just think for a minute. Um, They think, I'll just have a nice day off. I feel so tired. I feel wretched. I feel, that's the time to get up and do something. He didn't fight against overwhelming odds. He fought against unbearable fatigue. He fought until he couldn't fight anymore, and then he fought some more. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. So on those days... Don't believe for destruction, believe for resurrection. And finally, there was this guy, Shammah, the son of A.G. the Hararite. It was a bit different. The thing that I find very strange is that the Bible tells me, for goodness sake, he was fighting for a field of lentils. I mean I don't like lentils. <laughs> when Gretel slips them unexpectedly into a soup, I said there are lentils in here and I don't like them. They're horrible things. Should be banned. <laughs> and he is all you can think of doing fighting for a field of beans. He's not fighting against overwhelming odds. He's not fighting against unbearable fatigue. He's fighting against insignificant rewards. Not much to show for his effort. I mean, was it worth risking his life for? He wasn't fighting for a city, not even for a strategic bridge, a river crossing, not even fighting for a village or a home. He was fighting for a field of lentils. And if you'd have gone to him, I can imagine this lady here, I can't remember her name, but I know who she Christine. is. Christine. Uh, never mind, I can't hear you anyway. So. <laughs> I can imagine you as a Shamar, the son of A.G. and the Hararite. I know it was a daughter, but, you know, fighting for something that didn't seem worth a lot to everybody else. So, what on earth is he fighting for? So, if you'd have gone to, to Shamar and said, why? Why are you fighting for such small returns, Mm -hmm. for such insignificant rewards? I think he would have looked at her and said, Ron, you've forgotten one thing. Those lentils belong to my king. And I'm fighting for my king's lentils, not mine. And on those days when it seems that you're fighting for so little return, There doesn't seem to be a lot to show for your efforts. Remember, you're fighting for the King of kings and the Lord of lords because we all fight for our King. And our King and his kingdom, we're committed to extending, like these mighty men were, we we are committed to to our King and to extending the borders of that kingdom over the whole earth. Even when things are going against us, we fight and we fight and we fight again. So he's fighting away there against insignificant rewards. You see, the Bible says about you and me, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're against all these other things, against the principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There's a lot of that around these days. There's some Im- important votes in the Anglican Communion this week. You need to be praying about, about about LGBTXYZC24, or whatever it is. There's some big votes taking place. No, I know I shouldn't say it, but I've said it anyway. <laughs> so um, we're fighting against all sorts of things. Spiritual wickedness in high places. And we all have to fight against things, against rejection against fear, against losing friends, against falling out with neighbors, against losing a job. All these things mean something to us and they mean something to him. And we're wrestling. The Bible doesn't say you can fight if you choose to. No, it says we do it. We wrestle. We wrestle. We don't have an option. We keep fighting until victory has been achieved, until entropy has been defeated. And so as I do come to the end this morning, how will you remember? I missed that, missed that, missed that one. Get to the last bit. I haven't taken any notice of it anyway. <laughs> Ephesians 6 puts it something like this. Having done all, Stand. So where, this morning, where are you in this story on this Remembrance Sunday? Individually, corporately, where are we as a community of God's people? Maybe like Joshua, Bersibeth, the Tachmanite, we feel we're facing overwhelming odds. Everything and everyone is against us. Maybe like a, a liaison, sort of die, the son of Dodai the Oholah. Let me try that one again. The <laughs> are whole hearts. You try it. <laughs> maybe maybe we're fighting in the face of overwhelming fatigue. I like the bit about but it, it said he couldn't let, he couldn't let go of his sword. You know what your sword is, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Never let go of your sword. Yes, yes. Keep, keep your sword in your hand and you'll win. Keep the Word of God. Keep the sword in your hand and the Word of God in your heart and you'll win over this enemy of entropy. When everything goes down, you'll go up and so on and so on. So, where are you this morning? And what are we on this room? Re- what have you to remember this day by? Do we remember it because of losing men, much as we. We've done that, we've remembered them, we've, we've honoured them. Do we remember in our own lives we're fighting against overwhelming odds? Stand your ground, fight for the honour of your king. Do we believe we're fighting against overwhelming, we're pressed down by fatigue? Stand your ground, lift up your sword, keep fighting for, for and with your king and you'll defeat the law of entropy. Or are you fighting against, uh, uh, the Bible said, "What does it say, Magni? They that are for us are more than all that can be against us. So although the the odds, you see, sometimes the odds only seem to be overwhelming. But my Bible says, they who are for us are more than those that can be against us. Or it says... When it comes to the strength, it says, as I wait along the, on the Lord, I'll renew my strength. Yes. I will run and not be weary. Even on the days I feel down, I will run and not be weary. I will walk and not faint. I will soar, I will soar up with wings like an eagle. There are too many Christians, they're like turkeys <laughs> hopping on the ground. You and I were made to fly, not to hop. So learn to soar like an eagle over that tiredness, over that despair, over that weariness. Keep fighting until the victory is won. Or maybe, like, what's his name? (laughs) Shama. Shama. Maybe he was listening. (laughs) You can preach this message when you go away somewhere. Maybe like Shomar, the son of A.G. the Hararite. Maybe just fighting against something that doesn't seem a lot. The Bible tells me that I must despise the day of small things. And the Bible teaches me that that God knows that if I've been faithful in the small things, he can entrust me with great things. And one day, one day, me before some of you, I'll stand before my king and I'll receive a reward for what I have done by his grace, by his mercy, by his favor, by his grace, I'll stand before him. Whatever I have done, whatever I have said, I'll stand before him and receive from him the reward for what, what I've done. And even on those days when it seems I'm not fighting for much, what does the Bible say? I've got it written down here somewhere. I forgot for a minute. Let's have, a, let's have the faith not only for, the, for the big things. We all want big things. We live in days when we want big things. But let's have the faith for the small things that God gives us now. And he will lead us on to greater things. So fight, fight, and win the battle over entropy because he's already won the battle. I still don't know what entropy means, by the way, but I know that Jesus has won the victory. And I know that because he lives, I will live. I know that because he has won through, because he has triumphed, I also will triumph. Thanks be to God. I say thanks be to God who gives me the victory to our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope
0: you've been blessed and encouraged by what you've heard. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, Wellspring Church, or how you can grow with others in faith, connect with us by clicking the link in the episode description or joining us on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. in person and online.